wrestling nerds, you're about to sink your ear holes into a big old serving of the motherfucking IndyCast. For over eight years, the best of independent wrestling interviews, pop culture, debates over topics like breakfast cereals and the Muppets, plus more innuendo than you could shake a goddamn stick at. So here is Maximus Chad Allen, Sticky Fucking Steamboat, Zach Romero, and occasionally Duchess on Finger Bang, Luna Lynn, as they bring you the fucking Indie Cast, exclusively on the Wrestling Nerds Radio Network. Found us. Right. So. Oh, hey, yeah. yeah. All right, let's try that again. Greetings, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the IndieCast. I'm Zach Romero here on behalf of Chad Allen and Luna Lynn, and we're really coming together. We took last week off. Uh, we had some big projects coming up here, and so we decided to come back here to season eight of the IndieCast with a mysterious and much sought-after guest for the first time on any podcast, one of the best voices in the Florida wrestling scene. A stylish individual, if there ever was one, in the broadcasting field. A very, very good friend of mine and a goddamn handsome man. Ladies and gentlemen, open your ear holes for Christian Override. What's up, everybody? Hey. Yeah, open up your ear holes. That's a, that's a great one for me. <laughs> yeah, bite the, bite the pillow. I'm going in dry. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, uh, Christian, uh, we here at the IndyCast, we run through a set of very standard questions to start things off with. All right. And seeing as this is your first excursion into podcasts, this yeah, will be this a good is a little different. This will be a good precursor for when you're doing the circuit and you're, you know, talking to many other shows. Okay. Uh so they'll ask you these same boring ass questions and you'll have to, you know, grin and bear it. So uh first question here, who trained you and when did you debut? As far as wrestling or the the DJ you're DJing? I would say both in this case. Um well, DJing was first. Uh, Love of Wrestling was way before DJing, but DJing was actually one of those things where it came to be uh, by accident. Um, I used to drive a truck, like a, a big rig cross country for about a year or so, and we were at a Procter & Gamble up in Ohio, and I broke my leg. I was stepping out. I didn't see where I was stepping or whatever, and I wound up breaking it pretty bad. It's about the size of a grapefruit. Whew. So they rushed me to the emergency room and all that kind of stuff, and they took care of it. Well, you may or may not know, in a big rig, you have to double clutch, you know, when you're shifting and stuff like that. And unless you're good and you can just float it, but regardless, you need to use the clutch a lot. And it was my left leg. So unfortunately, I could not shift. I couldn't put weight on it or anything like that. So I was without work, and, and even if I could work, I didn't know if I would be able to drive a truck. Right. So that may be a career ender as far as that goes. Well, my friend Roxanne happened to be a uh, a bartender at a club, and she said that they were looking for uh, a DJ and asked if I wanted to try it out. Now, I had a friend of mine, Alan, went back when we were in like high school, <clears throat> that he used to do like um, weddings and bar mitzvahs. Oh, okay, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, like DJ for hire kind right, of stuff. Right, exactly. Got it. And he had a whole bunch of equipment. He would show up, and it was like, uh, "Hey, if you're not doing nothing this this Saturday, I got a quinceanera or a you know wedding or whatever to do. 
you want to make some extra money, you can help me roadie. Because I'm a big dude, and it's like yeah. you could sling stuff. Right. And I don't feel like picking it up. So, <laughs> so, now so that's what I was. Team. I was a laborer, basically. Yeah. But the nice thing was, after setting all that crap up, I knew what did what. True. So I, I learned the mechanics True. of it. Yeah. Like so, hands-on almost. Absolutely. Yeah. I knew what got plugged in and what worked what and why it did, you know, whatever. And uh, when Roxanne asked me if I wanted to do it, I was like, well, I don't know if I have the talent for it, but I know the mechanics of it. Right, so you got the nuts and bolts down. I like music. I'll give it a shot, you know. And uh, and when was this, by the way? <sighs> that's that's half of it here. This is back in like late 97, early 98, nice. right around there. Okay. And uh, so it, it wound up taking to it very easily, very well. Uh, and within a month and a week, I actually had another club asked me to go work over there. And then about 14 months later, there was a club down in Clearwater that wanted me to work there. And then within a year or so from there, then I went over to Diamond Dolls, and I've been there for the last 20-something years. I took a about a four-and-a-half-month break from there. I went over to a place called Oz. I was there for about four-and-a-half years, and then I came back because they bribed me. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> <laughs> I'll be the that's, first how one to admit it. that's how it goes. That's how it goes. Money, you know, cream, they, dollar, they, dollar bill. Yeah, they, you know? they they brought in Ted DiBiase to call you up personally. Everybody's got a price, <laughs> and they met mine. Yeah, so it worked out. So and yeah, then, I've been at Diamond Dolls for a long time. And then uh, and then what about the wrestling side of things? So technically, who trained you, and when did you debut on the wrestling scene? Well, okay, so when we were at Diamond Dolls back in like ninety nine two thousand. Right around that time, we used to do jello wrestling. Like, everybody's got to be set aside. You know, a strip club is a strip club is a strip club. You got to do something to help stand out. Yeah, to make yourself a little bit unique or whatever. Well, well, I, I mean, what? Fucking 2001 has a goddamn spaceship attached to it. Like, well, yeah, but you also got to remember this is right, you know, in the middle of the attitude era, basically. True. Um, so it's right around that same time. And, uh, yeah, Jello wrestling was was big, and we had some some really good bouts. Well, we also had, luckily, in the Clearwater, Dunedin area, whatever, we had a lot of independent wrestlers at the time, uh, like Francisco Chiazzo and uh, all of his crew back then. They were kind of just starting, and they would come in, and we would have a great time. And yeah, it was like a special ed and a few other guys. Like mm-hmm. to be honest, I can't remember most of their names, but <laughs> so. They used to come in, and also the house mom, which is like basically the the woman in the back in the dressing room that would take care of all the the entertainers as far as their needs. Like uh, if they needed, you know, shoes or uh, a hem in their dress or something ripped or whatever, she was there to basically take care of everybody. She's a house mom. Well... She used to make all the outfits for Randy Savage. So Randy would come in. So that's how I met him. That's amazing. It was amazing. Uh, at the time, well, yeah, this is definitely during the Attitude Era. Because when, when Mach went over to WCW, his uh, valet was Gorgeous George. Mm-hmm. Now, Gorgeous George to us was Stephanie, our waitress. <laughs> Like, you know what I mean? So yeah. so when she went on and, and became Gorgeous George and everything, that's how we kind of met and, you know, hung out with Randy and stuff like that. And he would come in 
And luckily enough for me, when we were doing the jello wrestling and stuff like that, Randy would come in. Hmm. And he would come up in the booth, and he and I would do color commentary over the you know the speaker the while these yeah. girls are beating the snot out of each other. So that was kind of my first. You now, know. now I have a I have kind of a silly question about the the jello wrestling. Okay, so you mentioned you know there kind of being this sort of overlap of like hey there's like these up and coming guys from like Bourbon Street who are wrestlers are popping in so there's sure. kind of a little bit of a wrestling feel about the club anyway. In the Jello wrestling part, was there was there ever, ever like real fighters, or no, was it just no, 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 random no, no, no. girls? No, and it was just it was entertainers, bar staff. Um, it got to the point where like other bar staff from other jo- you know strip clubs and stuff like that would come in. I was just gonna say that's how I feel like in my mind palace. That's how I picture it. Is it starts off as like eh, it's like a novelty thing, and then by the end it's like okay, so we've got this King of the Ring tournament that we've booked here, and now we're gonna crown one champion, yeah. and we've got Oz has their influx coming in that we got that, and then this one over here, you know, Pink Pony over here right, exactly. has their NWO that wants to invade, and we're like I just imagine it spirals out of control and becomes like a wrestling. Well, it wasn't show. quite as cool as your mind palace, but it was kind of <laughs> like it. It yeah. was. It was cool. I would say. So if like other bar staff are like, oh, I got to come in and kick somebody's ass in this Jello and get paid, like, yeah, it was for bragging rights, and you know, it was fun. It was yeah. a lot of fun. Uh, but anyway, that was where I first started doing any type of color commentary, and it was with Randy Savage. So right. that was awesome. Yeah, no kidding. But that was always like where I went. Like that's, I like you know the color commentary. I, I love uh, Jesse Ventura. I love Bobby the Brain Heenan. I love all the you know those type of character yeah. you know yeah. guys that like overtly villainous. Absolutely, yeah. the yeah. non-biased wink, wink, nudge, right. nudge. Yeah. So that's kind of who I emulate myself after. Yeah. So. Uh, so speaking of that, so next lightning round question: uh, What is your earliest wrestling memory? Like when you were um, a little override and you had little green hair and. Yeah. No, I didn't have green hair back then. Um, so anyway, my. Mom had a couple of friends, and they used to take, like, uh, ambulances and hearses and, and all kinds of emergency vehicles and stuff like that, and they would refurbish them and then sell them. And this is back in, like, the early 80s, you know, late 70s, early 80s. I was probably, like, six or seven years old. And whenever she would go over there and hang out with the parents kind of thing, Obviously, I was a kid. I wasn't right. going to be welcome into those things. Well, the one dude's father used to watch wrestling all the time, Carl Sr. And I was allowed to sit in the living room and watch wrestling with him as long as I shut up. So it was like, you know, don't bother him or whatever, and we could watch wrestling. And back then it was like, you know, Florida wrestling with Gordon Sully and yeah, yeah, old yeah. AWA and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So yeah. that's where I first learned about wrestling. And it was awesome. I loved it. And then, of course, because I'm old, uh, we had the whole boom in the 80s. Right, of course. Rock, rock and wrestling, wrestling comes and, in. And, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it was just on fire. Yeah. So that was kind of that was kind of the birth of my wrestling love. Not again. I'm not. This is still your lightning round. I'm not trying to make this about me. But one of the things that I struggle with is I have my earliest memories that I know of. But then because of, like, the internet and because of when the WWE Network was around and things like that, I've seen things that I know I was alive for, but I don't really remember. Like, 
I could quote unquote remember the mega powers, mm-hmm. but that SummerSlam was an '88, so yeah. I'm like six months old at the time. So oh, yeah, me and Gooch were watching that in Ralph Cavalier's <laughs> garage with our hungry alleys. That was right. shit, man. So my point is, it's it's I'm I like to hear that you've got like an actual specific non like oh I watched it online. I watched Arn Anderson fight a guy, and that's my early memory. No, the fact for that- for me, I mean that stuff was. Let's see, 88, I was in high school. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I was 13, 14 years right. old. That's easier to remember. Absolutely. Yeah. But um, even as, like, a kid kid, uh, there's photo. What I'm trying to say is there's photos of me, and I'm, like, six or seven, and we're at, like, the Sportatorium, or, like, we're, because I grew up in Virginia, so we're there, and there's a picture of, like, me and, like, Brutus Beefcake and shit like that, and I'm like, I don't fucking remember that. Yeah. One of but, my favorites. But if you ask me, like, well, what do you remember? I'm like, you want to know my real answer? Like, when I woke up and then I was like, oh, wrestling's a thing. It's like 1997, probably. Okay. And we had just gotten a different cable company. Right. And so we're flipping through channels, and that was when they had the previews channel. When it would be like, oh, on well, this weekend, you can watch for $20. You can watch whatever. Like, right. blah, blah, blah. And there was an ad for an ECW show. And I don't uh, remember which one it was. It wasn't barely legal, but it was something along those lines. Right. And I remember seeing Big Guido and Tajiri just taking baseball swings with steel chairs to each other. And that's it. I don't have any context to this day. I don't right. know what the fuck that is. But I remember seeing that and being like, I don't know what this is. But I need this in my life. I'm just proud that it was Tajiri. Was right. one of your fr- that's right. one of my favorite wrestlers so, of all time. So from there, obviously, my parents are not like, yeah, let's watch ECW. Because they've been wrestling fans right. forever. So the next closest thing was, oh, well, you know, Raw's on USA. We can just watch that. Right. And so that I, re- I do remember specific moments from, like, the Attitude Era and switching channels between Raw and Nitro. Like, those are all things I well, remember. Well, yeah, but if it wasn't for ECW, I don't think you would have had the Attitude Era. Oh, absolutely. I think you're absolutely correct that, on that. That was one of those things, like, if I'm not mistaken, your dad is a huge AWA fan from way back. 100%, yeah. So I'm sure as soon as he saw ECW, just like us and everybody else, went, what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know exactly, what I mean? Yeah. This is incredible. Oh, dude, you got to check out this thing. It's right. on at, like, 1 o'clock in the morning. Right, yeah, exactly. On whatever the hell channel. Yeah, whatever, public, almost public access. You will freak out. Like, they're bringing their own pots and pans for them, you know, to, to hit, hit each other with. with. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. So, yeah, once that happened, it was like, but like, like I remember when uh when uh during the Stone Cold McMahon era. Right. I remember when Stone Cold Salt was corporate Stone Cold. Yeah, when everybody he, when, hated that. When he came out in the suit and tie and yep. all and I remember him hitting Vince McMahon in the dick before taking his picture. Like those are things that are genuinely living in my memory. But the one that's like yeah. the true but what the point the original point I was making was because I've ingested so much wrestling from all these different eras Sorry to tell what you actually remember exactly yeah exactly yeah. it's like those things like when a relative tells you a story oh when you were a kid bah, 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 and then that lives in there yeah and like you remember that room that it was described in so then you kind of have that memory but you don't really have that memory sure same kind of thing uh so you've talked about obviously getting your start with calling action with macho man randy savage uh i also know that for a time in your very uh, interesting life, you were uh, slinging merch at the Ice Palace for uh, yeah, wrestling. Yeah, for WCW. Show. Yes. That was cool. And uh, so I do want to dig more into that, but okay. I want to know what is your biggest starstruck moment in terms of professional wrestling? Because you've done that. You were on the original Jericho oh, Cruise. Man, yeah, I'm going to... 
All right, so I'm embarrassed as hell for this, actually, because I had been around for a long time. I've met many, many musicians and, you know, actors and wrestlers. Uh, you can swing a dead cat without hitting a wrestler down here. So you're going to meet yeah. some people. And I never get starstruck, ever. Mm -hmm. Like, it's weird almost. So I'm backstage at the Ice Palace. Now, okay, it's so just to give a quick rundown. My buddy Joe used to sell the merchandise. So we would get there hours before over at the Ice Palace and set up the booths and all that kind of stuff. And once it was all done, then we had a little bit of time before the doors open. So a lot of times, a lot of the wrestlers were either working out or they were building the ring or any of that stuff. So it was kind of cool to watch. Yeah, no kidding. Get that behind the scenes stuff. Sure. To this day, anytime I'm at a place and there's like a machine that's open, like if we're like at an arcade yeah. and someone's got a pinball machine that's open, I take a picture of it anyway, just because I'm like, I, I want to see how things work. I want to see the inner workings. Yeah, stuff. absolutely. So same thing. You're you're not a wrestler and you're seeing a ring get set up. You're like, what the fuck is well, this? Well, yeah. I mean, if you've only been a fan and you never saw a ring the way it was actually built. It's it's That's a funny. crazy fucking experience. Well, because your freaking parents would tell, oh, it's like a it's big like trampoline. a trampoline. It's not. It is not a not even close, dude. <laughs> like you know, it's yes, like correct. two by twelves on yeah. you know side by side. It's yeah, whatever. So when you actually see it being built, it's like oh, that's that's a lot more intricate than I thought it was. Right. And then you see these guys working out and stuff like that, and you wind up meeting a lot of them. Um. Met Paul White. He was awesome. Beth is back when he was just the giant. Met Goldberg. Now, my um, question is, for that kind of stuff, do you think that was part of just the culture of wrestling? Because we've been at shows now, yeah. and you and I will be working on something, and like maybe some kid who's not even out of wrestling school yet comes up, shakes both our hands. Oh, hey, I'm whoever the fuck. Great to meet you. Great to meet you. Do you think that that was part of it? Is that like wrestlers just get in that habit of like, hey, I got to shake everybody's hand. Like, hey, I don't how's know, it going? But if that's the case, I'm a douche half the time. Like, <laughs> I'm serious. I'm not, I don't mean to be. Like, look, if you're, if you're not of that mind frame and you're not a wrestler and you're not, you know, in the public eye. Right. And you're just trying to set up your equipment or do your job or whatever. Sometimes, you know, somebody will approach you and they're shy about it or. They don't have the the confidence yeah. to just come out. And and it's like, ah, what do you want? You know, that right. kind of thing. So I'll be the first one to admit I've probably been a dick a couple of times. And, I, you know, <laughs> if, if I was a dick to you, I apologize. There you go. We're learning. We're growing. Um, but anyway, but so, one time, so, yeah, you met Paul White when he was still the big show. Yeah, you met Goldberg. No, before he was big show. Oh, way you're right. You're right. He was the giant. He yeah, was, he was just the giant. He like, was, we're going to kind of suggest he's onto the giant's son without right. yeah, fully sure. saying that. Um. But he was so cool, like just one of those really, really good guys that took time to give a shit, you know what I mean? And it was weird because they say you don't ever meet your heroes because usually you're disappointed, disappointed. and yeah. stuff like that. And that, that does happen. But then there's sometimes where if you didn't give a shit one way or another, like I wasn't a giant fan. Right. Cool. He's big, you know, whatever. But there was no gimmick or anything to really get behind. Right. He was just big. But he was really, really cool, and he and I are about the same age, so he was probably 27, 20, you know, 28 at the time or whatever. Just really, really cool, you know? And I was like, hey, let's go screw around in the ring. And he's like, no, you don't want to do that. I'm like, ah, why? He goes, because I hurt people. Even when I don't mean to, I hurt people. You know what I mean? So, yeah, no. <laughs> but uh, he introduced me to Goldberg, and that was funny, because uh, he didn't talk like he did 
on. Right. Yeah. This was back when all he did was grunt. Yeah, yeah. And he didn't really he kept do any interviews. Mic, yeah. That's right. Well, there was a reason was, for he that. He was too busy headbutting lockers and stuff. Right. It's like, yeah, he can't talk on mic for shit yet. So <laughs> He's got to figure that but out. He was like, hey, guys, how are you? And I was like, holy shit, did that just come out of your mouth? A very, very nice guy. Right. Very cool. But the one time, this was actually at a WWE or F at, you know, at the time, um, Paul had just come over to WWF. Yep. So that would have been after the St. Valentine's Day Massacre when he showed up and beat up Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> and I want to say he just got the belt. Okay. That makes sense. All right. So right yeah. around that time. Yeah. Um, so I'm hanging out backstage with uh, Midian. Amazing. All right. So From the, uh... Dennis and I are talking because a friend of mine actually gave him a tattoo on his chest. Uh, there's He's got a, a cross that's got like an eyeball in the middle, and it's got hooks that go to like where his collarbones are. Okay. And a friend of mine had given it to him. So I was like, hey, man, let me see. You know, Dave did some work on you. What do you got? So he showed it to me and stuff like that. And The Rock walked by. Now... Zach, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> if it wasn't for the sex, I would have been gay for a man. <laughs> I swear to Christ, dude, I had a man crush on the rock. I don't. I can't explain it. He he was very charming, very charismatic. So embarrassedly, I was like, "Holy shit!" There goes the rock, and he goes, "Yeah, you want to meet him?" I'm like, "Uh, fuck yeah!" So he goes, "Hey, Dewey." And I lost my shit. I'm like, did you just fuck? You're like, did you refer to the great one like, as Dewey? Yeah, Dewey, Dewey, come here. So he calls him over. He's like, hey, Dewey, this is Chris. Chris, this is Dewey. And I, for the love of Christ, I just stood there like a fucking jabron <laughs> and was like, uh, uh, uh. And to his credit, he stood there for a couple of seconds and they were calling him to the ring or he was up next. And I swear to Christ, Zach, he looked at me and he goes, hold that thought. And he walks out and he did his match and he comes right back and he goes, okay, now where were we? Wow. Now, all the, you know, the ice had been broken. Right. I'm no longer right. a stammering re, you yeah. know, moron. So, yeah, he and I just started shooting the poo. And it was great. I've run into him, this is, you know, a long time ago, but it was like at least three or four times backstage and stuff like that to where... Friends of mine are like, you know The Rock? I'm like, well, we're not calling each other on the weekends. Right. But we've but met a few times. We've met, yeah. So, yeah, that was the only time I've ever been starstruck by anybody. And he was absolutely wonderful. That's amazing. Just a, an amazing dude. And to see, like, this is, you know, like I said, this is back during the Attitude Era. Right. This is, we are so in the heyday is, of heydays. Right. So this is 20, you know, something years later. I couldn't be more proud of where he is now. I right. mean, obviously, you know, nobody gives a shit that I'm proud of him. <laughs> but what I'm saying is it's awesome. Like, I already loved The Rock. I thought he was great. Right. But knowing that somebody is awesome and have met them, and I was like, yeah, I really hope this guy makes it. And does well. Yeah. Not only did he make it, he became the biggest dude on the freaking planet. Yeah. But I'm very, very happy for his success because he's a cool dude. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, because if he had been a dick, then you'd be like, well, whatever. But the well, fact that he was so cool, okay, it's so like, okay, good. He deserves good things. I Yeah, I really hope he succeeds. Like, there's other people. It, dude, it all depends on when you get them. True. That's like, true. Like, I've met Hogan a few times. 
Very, very nice to me. I've met, I know other people who have met him and said he was kind of a dick. Uh, I met, uh, I, okay, so just in my circle, I met uh, Shawn Michaels back when I was a kid, and he was a douche. But yet, you talk to Billy, and they used to hang out, him and Jannetty over at Deuce's house. So it's like, it all depends on when you get him. Yeah. Um, a lot of people said that Jericho was an asshole. Well, when I went to, I went on the Bruise Cruise back in 99, and he was nice as can be. Right. I have nothing but respect for Jericho, and he was very, very cool. As a matter of fact, uh, me, him, and his girlfriend at the time, and, you know, a few others, it was like a charter thing. We went uh, snorkeling down in, uh, over by Atlantis, down in the uh, Bahamas. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. It was awesome as hell hanging out with him for a while. Right. Now, I don't know. I met his girlfriend, actually, before I met him. Because we were gambling on the boat and all right, that kind yeah, of stuff, yeah. and she introduced me. Like, now, well, could that have been it? Here's my boyfriend, the fucking <laughs> lion tamer. Like, well, oh, hey, when we up? were getting ready to go on the trip, uh, she and I saw each other. She's like, "Oh, good, you're going on the trip." I was like, "Yeah," and I put my license down, and she goes, "Oh, you live in Florida too?" She goes, "My boyfriend and I live in Florida." I'm like, "Oh, cool. Who's your boyfriend? You know, or where do you guys live? Oh, over in Clearwater or whatever." And uh, then. I met her boyfriend, who happened to be Chris Whoops, Jericho. Yeah. I was like, oh, fuck, that's cool. You right. know? So was it because she introduced me to him? That, that, that was, he was maybe broke the ice and softened absolutely. it? Absolutely. Right. I don't care. Doesn't he matter. was cool as shit to me. Yeah. So as soon as that happened, he was still at WCW, obviously. It right. Bruce Cruz. But when, he, when I heard that he was coming over, I couldn't have been more excited. Right. And to this day, my favorite intro of all time. When Y2J makes the Absolutely. debut with when The Rock debuted, and all that, yeah. Greatest debut of all time, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, excellent. So in addition to all this, you also, a man, you, again, a man who's lived a thousand lifetimes, uh, you also owned yourself a comic book store for many, many years. So I next did. lightning round question, Marvel or DC? Um, I am more of a DC guy. Uh, however, my main character is Thor, which is a Marvel dude. Mm -hmm. um, I like both, but I think I'm more of a DC guy. I like, I mean, I grew up with DC stuff. Okay. So the whole Justice League, Flash, Batman, you know, Superman, all that kind of stuff. Um, ever since I was a kid. So that's my favorite stuff. Uh, Thor, obviously, for Marvel and stuff, but. I was saying, last I had heard, you had a hell of a Thor collection that you had developed. I do. Like, yeah, you've got, uh, like, almost... Like, I have all but ten issues. That's crazy. Of... Of the original run. Of, the ori of like, Journey of, into Mystery right. kind yeah, of run. I don't yeah. have 83 or 84, but I've got 85 and all but, you know, a few of them. But unfortunately, now they're all many, many thousands, I'm sure. Right, yes. If you want to get a good copy, you know. Yes, yes, true. But, uh, yeah, I've got an amazing run of Thor. That's actually the only book I own. Yeah, I was just going to say. Everything else is... Yeah, everything else I put into the store. Right, yeah. But uh, I don't do that anymore. Right. So... But I was going to say, uh, that was actually how we met, was through yeah. the store. That's right. The comic book store. And so... Um, <laughs> I, I still think my favorite story is when you came back in the second time, you go, hey, you know, you're not a dick. <laughs> It was like the first time I thought you were a dick, and nah, you're not a dick. Again, I got to get my people skills under control. I'm a little you, too honest. Me, I'm a dick to too many people. Apparently, <laughs> we'll both work on it. We'll All both right. work on it. Um, 
if you were going to point somebody in the direction of like a really good DC book, like maybe a graphic novel or something like that, uh, what would you point somebody to? Like someone brand new to comics, what would you be like? Oh, here's a great book to right. just read beginning to end. There's quite a few. Um, if you've never read anything before, I wouldn't actually go back that far. Uh, I would say Flash Rebirth or Green Lantern Rebirth. Um, the artwork is great. Ethan Van Skyver does a great job on both of them. And Jeff Johns did so much for the DC Universe as far as like... Because DC stuff for forever was campy as shit. Mm -hmm. and, and that's fine. You know, yeah. it is what it is. But it's also that's baggage that you're carrying when you started in like what the 30s, like right comic books. DC had been around forever, so but in like the 70s and uh, 80s and stuff, you had the Super Friends and stuff like that, and that was great. That kind of brought a lot more people into, you know, the comic book characters true. and stuff like that. Um, but then they kind of didn't get away from the campiness, and Marvel was always, you know, the more serious, darker, broodier could happen in real life yeah you know kind of things the cities are in you know they're new york cities. or whatever right. yeah so when you know they were kind of losing basically to marvel because you know better stories or whatever and right. then jeff johns came in and he made a whole lot of sense of stuff that didn't make sense like nothing wrong you had <coughs> you had grant morrison doing some cool stuff you had alan moore doing great stuff which you know duh, yeah. it's them yeah but it had been probably 20 years since that was cool. True. So, you know, every so ever many years you had crises, you know, crisis this, crisis that. Um, but Jeff Johns put together some stories that made everything make sense and tie it in really, really good. And made some stuff that didn't make any sense make sense. Like the whole, you know, why did Hal Jordan turn into Parallax? Right. You know, that kind of thing. It's like, what would make him do that? And it's like, well, I went crazy. Well, that's a pretty lame fucking excuse. Yeah. But then Jeff Johns goes, actually, he was, uh, you know, Parallax was actually a creature that that basically went into him and used him as a host. And the whole dichotomy changed and he became like, you know. Well, not only that, though, but then gave this big justification <coughs> for, well, here's why Green Lantern always had a weakness to yellow, which was a right. sort of like this goobery kind of thing that came over from the like silver age of just like, Oh, well, I don't know yeah, why he, he had to come what? up with some kind of weakness and this is cheap on the printing press. So yeah, like, go kryptonite is just the color the yellow. Color. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so suddenly there was reasoning for that. So I guess my other question for that, because I, first of all, let me say, I agree. I love Jeff John's work, uh, especially on those books. Yeah. Um, I think he, he can do phenomenal work. And it's one of those cases where, both of those comic series were in such sort of a forgettable mess kind of state yeah. that that's why he was free enough to go, all right, Jeff, whatever. If, if you can figure yeah. something out, great. Right now, these books are in the toilet. What can you do? Whatever. You know. And now, DC, when they're making the movies and stuff like that, they they oftentimes will bring Jeff in as like yeah, a big consultant, consultant and stuff Absolutely. like that. And I feel like he doesn't quite get the opportunity to work that same magic. Because there's too many other chefs, right? Like you, like if you were just like, "Hey, we're doing a um, a Zatanna movie," mm -hmm. and so Jeff Johns, you come in, tell whatever story you got to tell to make this make sense and make it interesting, and we'll just follow your lead. That's one thing. 
but you to, get too many people putting their fingers that's what i'm saying to, yeah. you bring in as a consultant and he goes oh well all you have to do is tell a b and c and they go well we already tested with certain demographics and we're thinking that b is not going to work and then we thought about we're going to be shipping this overseas to here so therefore c has to be changed and it's like well now that's not going to really make sense anymore and it doesn't really yeah that's what happens that unfortunately it's like if you had the greatest story of all time that's fantastic but if you want me paramount to make it well then you it have has to, to listen fit, to my bullshit yeah, it has to otherwise fit no boxes. money for zacky right you know what i mean and it's bullshit <laughs> but it's like that's well, how i don't need your works, two, unfortunately well how much do you know about this character oh we don't know a goddamn thing about you know comic books right well then why are you giving me your opinion on right. anything right just because you have money doesn't mean you know what the story i'm trying to tell is very true so that happens a lot very true um so yeah jeff johns did an amazing job especially after mark wade which is weird because mark wade is either hit or miss agreed like if we're talking older stuff and not super old but like older stuff like back in the 90s they did a four issue run uh called kingdom come mm -hmm. which is fucking phenomenal but then you find out later that was written by Mark Wade and illustrated by uh, Alex, Alex Ross. Ross. You find out later, or at least that's what I read, is that, yeah, Mark Wade did some stuff, but that was mostly Alex Ross. Oh. I didn't know that. No, no, no. I didn't know that he did a lot of that, like, almost writing it as well. I don't know how, you know, what the percentage of whatever. it kind of makes sense, especially with his art. Yeah. That it's not something that could easily be like, oh, I'll just erase this and I'll just changes over it's like the man's making an oil painting for every frame so yes. i could kind of see him maybe putting the pedal forward a little bit more i don't know whatever happened but it yeah. worked out really good how but did you feel about them eventually trying we've got this is this is our other podcast this is a weird comic book podcast right um how did you feel about them eventually dc eventually trying to hitch a bigger universe to kingdom come because I remember when I first read Kingdom Come, it was just an Elseworld. It was That's just like exactly a, right. It was yeah. an offshoot, sort of like what if kind of story. Yeah, it was a beginning, middle, and end done story. Didn't need any and didn't more. affect anything. Like right. it didn't. You know, Batman is old and decrepit, and he's in like a super suit because Bane, you know, shattered his bones at some distant past, and blah 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 blah. But that didn't mean the next month in regular comics, it was like, hey, by the way, in this issue, Bane's going to come and break his bones, right? You know, to make this fit with Kingdom Come. Well. Unfortunately, um, I'm basically sucking Jeff John's dick again, but it's like he did a, a book called The Justice Society of America, which mm -hmm. for those of you who don't know, it's basically like the the second and the third tier guys. It's not the starting lineup. Right. Starting lineup would be your Justice League. Justice Society is kind of like your second and third tier guys that either people like, but nobody really, you know, they can't support their own book right. kind of stuff. So you got like Hawkman and Hourman and... Uh, wildcat it's like dude wildcat he's the guy that dresses like a cat and can box Ooh. Mm, right yeah you know you but star the... girl and you had exactly yeah and so old-timey green lantern he, yeah talk about you know a weakness it's wood oh uh, okay. okay that's awesome not even a color so he did a story called uh i think it was thy kingdom come yes and he made I don't know how he did it. He bridged a, a now book with a book from 20 years ago, and he made it awesome. Like, mm -hmm. he made some of the characters from Kingdom Come, he explained where they came from, how they came, like, and, and didn't screw it up. That's my That's biggest amazing. pet peeve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, 
let's use Star Wars as an example. The first time, now granted I'm old, so I saw it in the theater. <laughs> right. The first time you ever saw Darth Vader on screen, you knew without a shadow of a doubt that that was the baddest motherfucker in the galaxy. Right. You didn't even hear him talk yet. No. All you saw him was walk down the corridor, and you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. So we already know that he's a badass. And then you get the prequels, which unfortunately make him a whiny bitch. You just took the the ultimate evil badass and completely demasculated him over some stupid movies that didn't need to be. So, unfortunately, that's the way I feel. There are certain characters that... Let's use Thanos as an example. They had a comic that was a short time ago that was actually Thanos, like, growing up and, and the things that led to him... Getting his pilot's license. <laughs> sure. But, hey, he had the helicopter. That's, he had a goddamn true. helicopter. That's true. That, oh, that was horrible. Anyway, so... <laughs> So I didn't want them to turn Thanos into a bitch. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Like yeah, they yeah, did Darth yeah, Vader yeah, yeah. So it's very, very tricky trying to pull that off and not sucking. And Jeff Johns did it amazing. So kudos to that guy. Yeah, no kidding. Just let him, let him run with whatever he that's wants what to That's what I'm saying. With. Like, stop having other people infect it and let him just do his shit. And then final, final lightning round question. Holy shit. What is the last movie to make you cry? bitch i'll be the first one to admit it. like okay he- here's the thing that is not how i was expecting this answer to go. no i know and trust me i'm not proud of it in any way shape or form uh if it's a movie like marley and me or you know like a dog movie or yeah, something yeah, yeah. Have i will lose my shit i if there's okay one easy way to trigger me into just losing it is if you see a strong man cry Okay. Like, in other words, I'll use a, a movie like, uh, I think it was called We Were, we Were Soldiers with Mel Gibson, mm-hmm. um, where he's like a, a high up, like a colonel kind of thing, and he's got to go into the shit, and he's the first one there, and he's the last one to leave, and, you know, no soldier left behind kind of shit. So if you see a bad motherfucker like him kind of, you know, show emotion or get, you know, whatever, Yeah, I'll lose my shit. I'll be <laughs> sobbing like a girl. Um, for some reason, uh, anytime there's a really good emotional scene where there's a, a father who says that they're proud of their son or something like that, you got to figure, I mean, look, I'm 48 years old. Right. I've never had a problem with my dad. We've always been great. Yeah. But a lot of people... That's all they've strived for their entire life right. is just approval from their dad. Yeah. So when it's that kind of movie and they finally, you know, I've loved you all this time, but right. I've never been able to tell you because I'm whatever. Yeah. Those kind of things. I'll lose my shit. <laughs> so, yeah. And it's funny, too, because the stuff, it's like, oh, you know, there are plenty of movies where you should be crying. Yeah. Like you're watching Steel Magnolias and yeah, you're in a like, fucking desert. You're whatever, like, dude. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. not affecting me. Right. So, Yeah. But fucking, you know, Baloo the Bear in Jungle Book is like, oh, I, I, think I love you, Mowgli. You're like, ah. It's, for me, it's a lot of um, war type or any military type movie. Because I'll be the first one to admit it. I am a giant pussy and I would never fucking join the service. Right. Because I'm not that cool. <laughs> right. You know enough. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And anybody willing to lay down their lives for their country. Right. Dude, you're a better man than me. You know, I'm not saying that 
you know, if push comes to shove, I wouldn't fight for my country or whatever. Right, of course, right. you do what you got to do. But there's something different. Yeah. About you can have like a certain amount of admiration for there, that. Yeah, there's certain there's there's definitely something to be said about somebody who goes towards danger. You know what I mean? They don't run from it. They run right. towards it. And you're a fucking man, dude. You know what I mean? And that kind of stuff always gets me emotionally charged. So Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Much love for the troops. So uh so interestingly enough, I'm curious if this appreciation for running towards the danger does that give you not to say that you get the same kind of feelings but is there an element of pro wrestling that you think kind of is adjacent to that of like the running towards the danger in the storytelling element because what's one thing that like we get complimented on you and i as a a commentary team is our emotion and us getting excited and helping to tell a story yeah but that's the well okay in order to do that successfully, though, I think you have to believe in the person that you're watching. Very true. And that that's not just to say from a wrestler's aspect, get a fucking character. Very true. Very but, true. But also, if you're, if you're the face and you're going against extraordinary odds in your heel, let's say it's a size difference, power difference, whatever, you want, especially if that heel is a dick, you want the face to go. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And you're really, really pulling for him. But, damn it, there is no chance in hell he's going to be able. So you just, you're emotionally invested. involved. Yeah. You know what I mean? Invested in this character. So you know the impossible odd that he's up against. And you don't want to see your guy get hurt. You want to see him win. So there's definitely that emotional charge when... You when know, they're bringing it to us, I feel is the, is, is sort of the difference. Absolutely, like if you see Sage Scott do a backflip off the top row, I mean, just the incredible athleticism that some of these guys have when they can pull off something so smooth that makes you scream or right. just jump up and you know you're blown your away pants. by it. Right? Yeah, 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 that's amazing to me, and that's kind of what I do it for. Yeah, because I want you the audience member or the person watching at home or whatever to be just as excited as I am in that moment. I want you to feel the electricity that I'm feeling. You know what I mean? When, when we're sitting there and we're calling something and the hairs on our arms stand up or like, Oh yeah, that's a good one right there, man. Holy shit. I hope everybody felt that same way. Right? No, I think that's a, actually a really great way to put that because, um, in my experience, doing commentary in a variety of places with a variety of teams i do feel that it's very easy to fall in the trap of being jaded yeah man and so it's one of those cases where anytime you and i have gotten compliments from wrestlers or 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 the wrestlers are excited to be on a show that we're doing commentary for or something like that i it feels almost silly to me because it's like it's not some grand secret that you and i like confer with beforehand like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna do this before this match and i'm gonna da 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 it's just that you and i are excited to be there as long as they're excited to be here well that's because we're still fans that's true that's I don't true th- i don't think like i think the long and short of it is that we're always been super fans and you know sometimes it it wanes and sometimes yeah. it's stronger than others but it's still wrestling and it's still amazing and it's still the the girl that brought you to the prom. Right, so to true, say. true. Um, you just want to see it done really well or yeah. to the best of your ability. And if I 
in some small way can make you, the wrestler, feel better or more confident or whatever to pull off something that you may not have pulled off before and it's successful and then the crowd goes nuts and then the smile on your face makes me light up. Right. So, That's, yeah. Yeah. I, I fucking love it, man. Now, that being said, as as poetic as that all was, um, let's not be totally disingenuous. There have been times where, as uh, <laughs> as, as our, our our beloved, uh, one of our referee birds, uh, referee Kent, uh, had yes. mentioned that we have, quote-unquote, polished a turd or two in our time. Um, because we are still professionals. Like, Yeah, we're still professionals, but that doesn't mean... We can't have fun doing what we're doing. I'll That's be honest true. with you. As soon as, as soon as a referee looks at us and knows and goes, <laughs> there's Man, some I, trouble in this match. I can't wait to see you polish this turd. That's, that's incentive for me. I'm like, oh shit, right here we go. Yeah, and usually, they're a lot of fun. Like true, especially if you know going into it is like, look, this is probably not going to be. There's going to be some struggles. There's yeah, going to be there, this one is know, very green, right? Or this the other one, one doesn't whatever. know how to yeah. you know tell a story or lead a match or you know whatever. So look, it's two students and they're starting out. They're trying to find themselves, uh, trying to see what each can do. You know that kind of thing. You, you got to play to your strengths. Yeah. But unfortunately, not many of them have any strength at this point. So it's, you know, it's a learning. But that being said, I, I do prefer us still trying to make the best of a, of a troubled situation as opposed to there are. Let me put it to you this way. Every once in a blue moon, I will see something pop up on social media where somebody gets on a soapbox about bad commentary. And right. they'll talk about like, oh, you know, you're here to fucking call the match and you're not here to make jokes and you're not here to like make each other laugh and 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 blah 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 and i always the, the same feeling washes over me every single time i'm always immediately like oh my god are they talking about us like is this is well this that's us? what i was gonna say i'm like i said old and i don't do social media right. or facebook or any of that shit um were they talking about us or are they no about, okay. no 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 but it's one of those if they are fuck you dude. Right, true also i have true. a great time right no, 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 but but I always friend, so. I always get nervous. Yeah, because you and I do have a good time, and you and I do, and you and I do make each other laugh. Um, right. So what will always happen is somebody will get on a soapbox because something somewhere has pissed them off, right? And they'll be like, you know, if you're on commentary, you're supposed to be here to fucking, you know, do this, this, and do this. yeah, right. tell the story and call the action, and you're not here to like make your friends laugh and all this other bullshit. Nobody's here to see you. Yeah, and I'm like. Oh, they're talking about us and then i'll read through the the thread and there's all every single time there's always one thing that will jump out i'm like hey it's not us it's not us oh because okay. it'll be something like um i'm on base it'll be like oh you know learn the fucking talents names or something like that and i'm like well, yeah. well that's not us that's not us like we're, yeah. we're all good because as much as you and i make each other laugh because we've known each other for 10 years uh we're not well th the whole reason i brought this up was in those cases where we're dealing with a match that's not five stars, right. that it's either kids are starting out or maybe it's just an off night or whatever the case is, we still try to remain professional and still call it and be as positive as we can and have fun doing it. Yes. There are apparently commentators out there who will not take that high road and oh. instead will actively shit on the talent. Well, that's not going to get anybody as, as it's happening because they're too smart. You know, they're too smart for telling the, the, the story or, or helping with the illusion or whatever. Well, that's not going to do any good for anybody. 
unfortunately. So, I mean, I, I guess I agree with that. Uh, you can't shit on the people that you're trying to help. Right. Because, you know, what? okay, so let's put it this way. If you and I are fucking jerk off A and B right. and we're shitting all over the talent, it's like, what happens when they hear it? They're not going to like it. True, very so true. So either A, you know, you, you run the possibility of just getting the balls beaten off you by somebody because you're an asshole. Right. Or nobody's going to want to work with you because you're a fucking asshole. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, I, like you said, it may not be a five-star match all the time, and that's okay. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as you're trying. Yeah, that's all we're asking Then we're going to try. And how many times have we taken somebody that's very green and found something that they did well or that we've told them afterwards, like, hey, you should try this or whatever, and they do try it, and it works. So then they look at us and like, hey, these guys know what the fuck they're talking about, or might. Right. And they do something that makes us react, and it's like a it's like a tennis match. Almost. Right, yeah. Okay, do this. He does this, gets a pop, does something else, throws it back to us. We were like, holy shit, throw, says something else, throws it back to them, they do it, it goes over. Like, it doesn't happen all the time. No, 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 but... But it's very nice to see that, like, um, that growing, mm-hmm. that maturing almost. That evolution the of, the evolution, of what's going on. Yeah, yeah. The evolution of this character who's willing to take risks, but also is willing to take input. Just because somebody says something good, bad, or indifferent doesn't mean you either should or shouldn't listen to it. At least listen to it. Give it a shot. Right. If it's not your cup of tea, then okay, fine. But there's a lot of people who may know what they're talking about. You just need to go listen to them. Like we're easily approachable. True. At any show that we're at. I mean Very true. I mean I've already stated that I might be a dick at the time. But Right. If you see if you see Chris like putting together the sound system, maybe that's not the time to be like, I thought about doing a backflip, but I'm not sure. You'd be like, I I don't know what's tell you. <laughs> Can you come back in five? Yeah, please. Jesus. Um, so yeah, I mean that's basically I I love how many times have we talked about the fact that we see somebody mature and grow and go on to something better? Mm-hmm. It's it's almost like a father's pride. And yeah. I know that sounds cheesy or right. whatever, but it's the God's honest truth. You feel so proud of them, almost as if they were your own kid mm-hmm. who did something grand or you know amazing and graduated to that higher level. Kind of like meeting somebody and you want them to succeed. These kids, you definitely want to succeed because you had a hand in it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I couldn't be any prouder of the rapture. Right. You know what I mean? Those guys are fucking amazing physically and they're willing to do anything. Like, and it's not, it's not like you're forcing anything. It's like, hey, try this. And if one of them says, eh, not really. And the other one goes, eh, well, maybe we'll try it, whatever. And they do try it, and it goes over. Now they're definitely willing to give whatever else you got a second shot. Yeah, at least a thought. Like, that yeah. was a lot of fun. We should try something like that, you know? It's it's great. I yeah. love it. Yeah. No, and, that, and, and we've talked about this before, that one of our big sticking points is that Florida is a hotbed for wrestling. There's, like, anywhere between 60 to 70 companies that run in Florida at its height. And because of that, there's a boatload of wrestling schools as well. And one thing, one sticking point that we've always had is it feels like a lot of wrestling schools really mostly focus on the physicality of it 
and nothing about the character stuff. Now, I can't say that for sure. Yeah, I've never been to wrestling school, yeah. but everything that I hear coming out of it is... It feels mostly like, hey, they're just training us not to accidentally kill somebody. <laughs> well, yeah, it's all physical, physical, physical. These are the moves. These are the counter moves. These are, you know, whatever. But nobody really concentrates on character. And that's that's a shame, for right. one, to me, personally. But I understand it because, right. all right, if you've only got, you know, however many weeks to go from point A to point, you know, to Z or whatever... Well, there's a lot of physical shit that goes along with that. And I got to make sure that you don't kill somebody right. or, or anything like that. So I understand the priority. But maybe towards the end of their, th you know, their, uh, their training, some attention should be brought to character development. Because otherwise, you just got a whole bunch of Bob Joneses with their names on their butt. Just a cookie cutter, right? you know, thing. There's like... There's a dozen of you guys. Right. What makes you different than anybody else? Oh, I'm a, I'm a serious shoot fighter, and I don't really have a, a gimmick or a character or anything like that. I'm just, I'm a real tough guy. F fucking cool. <laughs> you and and the eight other guys behind you. Yeah. So what makes you different? What makes you stand out? What makes you marketable? That's a great point. And and to your point, I I agree with you. I think that's probably mostly it. Is it just a priority thing? Um, that obviously the physicality and the like, hey, don't get anybody hurt. Yeah, obviously that definitely takes, takes top priority without a doubt. And but I also feel like maybe it's a little bit of a numbers thing because realistically, every wrestler who comes out of wrestling school or something like that, or wrestler that hits the scene, in most cases, I would say they're gonna you know change their mind at some point. You know, they're not gonna stay the same what, character forever. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. I, but until you find that. True. But my point is, even when with our experience, when we were doing uh, The Proving Ground for two years, which was like a weekly show that we were that we were working on, uh, shout out to Alex Green as an amazing booker Love and Alex cameraman. Green. How's um, he doing? Have you talked to him? Yeah, he's doing fine. Wonderful. Um, Miss you, Alex. But uh, there would be times where you and I would work on character stuff with somebody, and either they were just sort of pacifying us at the time and going yeah 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 this sounds great and then they fucking whatever or they forgot or couldn't do it or weren't confident or whatever but there would be times where we would be frustrated where we'd be like well i mean i just came up with this whole thing and they shit on it or they didn't do it or they said fuck me or whatever so i can imagine that as a teacher yeah. being like okay i've got a dozen students and i've sat down with all of them and i've dreamed up 12 different characters with them and they didn't use any of 11 of them told me to go fuck myself as right. soon as I hit the screen. Like, I could see that, but also, I don't know, man. It's such a vital thing, and I feel like it, not enough attention is paid to it. And also, we talked about this before, because there's so many companies in Florida that are running, mm -hmm. there's never a shortage of opportunities for just bodies. Meaning, like, you know, if there's 60 companies running, all 60 companies have a main event in mind sure they're like oh we're doing this guy and it's gonna be versus this guy or whatever mm -hmm. but a lot of those companies probably don't have an opener figured out and so if you're a kid right out of wrestling school right you might be able to sneak your way onto that without having to go through the well what makes you stand out in turn when there's enough opportunities of like hey we're having a rumble and we need five more entrants well, there, here's these five kids who are willing to work for cheap, and they're all trained, and they're ready to go. 
in Florida, there's no quality control to be like, okay, but which of these kids have a character? Right. Which of these have gimmicks that are really going to connect with this crowd? They go, five, great, get in the line. Like that. Well, look at the one, the punk pro show that we did the mm-hmm. one time. And they're like, who the fuck is that one guy? Oh, he traveled with, you know, one of the car lots. Well, who is he? I don't know. Just some guy. Then screwing around in the ring. This kid's fucking amazing. Right, right. And he's got the whole, the tights and the gift, you know, the whole getup well, and the superhero I, looking thing. I like, think. Where was that? Yeah, I no, I think the greatest example of that happening to us was, who's this fucking beardy guy who came down in this car? Oh, it's a friend of ours, you know, if you have a spot for him, it'd be great. Sure, I guess. And then music hits and out comes Levi Everett, the fucking Amish sensation. And I'm so fucking pissed that I'm like, I I didn't know I, I'd be in the main event if I knew. Right. Like that. Sight unseen, <laughs> one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Dude, he... Levi Everett is so amazing. So amazing. He's incredible. Yeah. Um, one of the only wrestlers I've ever met in all of the years that I've been doing this, which isn't terribly long, but one of the only wrestlers I've ever met that I didn't have advice for. Because I was yeah. like, at any time I would be like, yeah, but do you have... No, he's got that. No, he's got it. Oh, what? well, what about merch? Oh, I, I sell little birdhouses. You motherfucker! What do you yeah. mean you sell birdhouses? It's like, wait, well, what's your favorite? Well, I have a move that makes it look like, like I'm, I'm churning, churning butter. butter. It's like, oh, my God! It. He's got it all. He doesn't need us for shit. You know? <laughs> That's one of the only times I've ever come across a talent that I could not help. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of guys like that. But there's a lot of guys that need help. Like... I understand what you were saying, uh, especially if they come to us and they're like, I don't know why I'm not getting looked at or right. I don't know what it's going to take to get me to the next level or whatever. Well, have you ever thought about doing this? Oh, that's a great idea. Cool. Why don't you try it? Right. Where is it, though? Where is it? You yeah. haven't done it yet. You know, we're still waiting. Yeah, right. So, um, Well, let's pause for right now. We'll consider this part one of this interview. Uh, we'll pick up again next week and continue discussing, you know, both your career and your points of view on uh, particular wrestlers. And I think we'll get into like what we're most proud of being involved with wrestling. So uh, for everybody here at the IndyCast, on behalf of Christian Override, I'm Zach Romero. Deuces. Hercules Mulligan. A jump scare is the Canadian destroyer of horror films. Pardon me. Might I suck my own dick for a second? I'm ready to greet the day, you <laughs> fucker. Every single one of you guys has made a horrible decision. <laughs> it's that dirty ass Meryl Street. We are. We're touching wieners. Not touching wieners indeed. professionally. Ric Flair said fuck a six pack and he never lost an ounce of pussy. What I am is a big, queer, stone cold Steve Austin. Birds don't give a fuck about your life.